0: Welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass Podcast. I am your host for today, Ryan Phillips. And with us, we've got one of our favorite guests. He's done the show before, and we had to get him back. It's been about a year. Uh, he is the one of the hosts of Tiki and Tierney every weekday, 3 Eastern to 6 Eastern on CBS Sports Radio and CBS Sports Network on TV. Uh, they are back in the office now, and, and we'll talk about that. But uh, our guest today is, of course, Brandon Tierney. Brandon, so great to have you back.
1: Nice to be back, Ryan How you doing, buddy?
0: Pretty good. You know, I think everybody for the last year and a half, sort of since we last talked on this show about a year ago, we're just all trying to get through it. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I got to ask you right off the top. I know you guys went back in studio recently. Uh, what is it like being back after being gone for over a year, I believe? Uh, mm-hmm. What's it like being back in the studio? Are you still getting used to it? Was it just like riding a bike? I mean, what were the feelings about that? Well, it's funny.
1: Once we actually jumped back into it, it became pretty normal pretty quickly. But I, I remember uh, over the 4th of July holiday, because we were going back that Tuesday, I guess. And, you know, you said it was a year. It was actually well over a year. It was closer to a year and a half. And um, there, I, I wouldn't say that I lamented it because, you know, you, you know you have to snap back into action, get back with the real world. And there were certainly aspects that I missed, but from a personal point of view, uh, I was, uh, I was wrestling with it, not whether or not I was going to go, of course, you know, you've, you've got to do what you've got to do, but you know, with two little ones and, um, you know, the the pandemic hit at a very unique time, uh, for, for my family. And, And I'm certainly not alone in this, but you know, my little guy is six, my daughter just turned five. So, you know, we were really, and I really had a chance to to spend a lot of time with them during their their real formative, um, you know, influential stages. I mean, and I mean, hour to hour, where uh, I could I could take my son to kindergarten, I could scoop him up, I could go to the little league diamond, play some ball, I could take uh, my daughter on a couple of daddy daughter dates, things that I could do in the morning that I really appreciated. It wasn't lost on me, you know, and. I knew that the, the you know, the, the timer was going and it was accelerating and it, it was a juggle mentally because when that timer expired, I, I, I knew that that was a good thing for the world, but when the tire expi- when, when the timer expired, it was also uh, going to be a different look for me, but that, so that's what, you know, internally I kind of wrestled with that, but it's it, nice to get really, I mean, we have a sweet studio. It's nice, quite frankly. To get in the car and, and have a little me time and compartmentalize my thoughts and you know further structure the show you know think about life I've I've always been a bit of a deep thinker and I, I you know I like to listen to my music because most of my work is done at that point I've already prepped for the show I've already read watched and, and coordinated things with with Tiki and our producer so I'll just jump around some news some politics a little me time um, and then you walk into the studio. And, you know, it, it's a validation of, you know, I don't want to say my place in the industry because that sounds ridiculous, but hey, they, they did build this pretty sweet studio for us. And it does feel uh, like a bit of a different batter's box than sitting in my office every day. So I think that's the long and short of it. At first, a little tricky for the family, although that was that was quickly alleviated. But, it, and, you know, as I internalized it, good to be back and, and really good to see Teak. I mean, Tiki came yeah. over, they, they can him and his wife came over about, I guess it was about now six weeks ago. And it was uh, probably about two weeks before we got back. I hadn't seen him for, you know, well over a year plus. And it's it's crazy. You, you look at somebody on Zoom every day, somebody that I've sat in the same studio with for eight plus, years, now nine years, uh, I mean, there was zero adjustment because we know each other so well, but it was nice to have drinks and to laugh and to be human and then to get back and do what we do in the studio every day. You,
0: got, you mentioned, you know, you guys have been together for so long. Being away from each other, do you now find it easier to kind of play off each other in person because you can read that person a little differently or have you guys just you, your chemistry was so established that on zoom it was fine.
1: I, I think it's more the latter. I think if this would have happened in our infancy, I think it would have been certainly tougher to bridge. But, you know, when you work with somebody and, you know, you spend 15 hours on the air with them, that's just on the air. You know, not to mention, you know, an hour plus before when you just kind of kick it in the studio, uh, the text, all the things you share. It's, it's a lot of time. And you, you learn, you know, not just what, what makes the other person tick, what inspires them, but you learn their their voice inflection. You learn, you know, their tone, and you kind of know when when somebody's getting ready to stop or when they have more in the tank. You could just tell. Uh, and, and there's only uh, there's only one way to get that 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 is to just to you know share a microphone and and get after it for years and and try to find the chemistry, which for many is elusive. Uh, there's there's no magic elixir. It's either there or it's not. Um, I also think that it could be there and strengthened, which is what I think happened to us. You know, I, I think there's certain people that you can just kind of throw into a studio and sometimes you get a little bit lucky. I I think in, you know, in in hindsight and in full transparency, even though we were always close and, and liked each other, that we had to learn how to work together. Uh, I had to learn, uh, I think you and I talked about this one. I had to learn to to not, not try to change him, because that sounds ridiculous, but, you know, in, in my mind, I, I have this model, and certainly had, and, and to an extent still have, but when we started, definitely had. And I, I guess it was probably a bit more inflexible than it is now. Like, I had this radio model where, you know, it's, it's a little combative, and very assertive, and very aggressive, and loud, and as I told you uh, in one of our prior chats, I'm, the, the louder it gets, the more comfortable I get. You know, the more uh, contentious it gets. I, I, I To me, that's good radio. I, I enjoy that. That's your sweet spot. I love it, it.
0: really is. I mean, you can tell it on the air, and we've talked about that privately, but on the air, like, you can tell that's where you are. That's I you enjoy play, it. You know, that you know? that's
1: what I strive for. Like, to me, that's like as a hitter, try to get in a 2 one one count. You know, the other part of the show is to establish the, the favorable, you know, count for a hitter where you can really get a good rip. And, and that's kind of how I feel, uh, you know, about what we just touched on, but I think we had to work at that. We had to work on that. We had to both, uh, you know, I, I think it, and I think quite frankly, the change had to come more for me as the driver of the show and somebody who, you know, leads us in and out of conversations. And somebody who's, you know, up until that point had, had done radio for, uh, you know, really since 2002, 2003 professionally. So it, it was just, I think it was an awareness. It was, uh, it was a growth on my part that if, if I didn't uh, do, I don't know that we would have the chemistry that we have now.
2: Be right back with more gold after a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Our friends at Manscaped have cleared you off for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Reviver Toner performance boxer briefs and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. This fourth generation trimmer also features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multi-function on off switch that can engage a travel lock and is even waterproof. The performance package 4.0 also includes the weed whacker it's like having a little astronaut chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and ear. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code fansided 20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code fansided 20 at manscaped.com. Given that you guys are
0: on TV, I've always wanted to ask this of somebody who does one of those simulcasts. Does it change the way you broadcast a bit being on TV, as opposed to just being on radio, do you have to play to the television cameras a bit or is it almost like they're not? That's
1: a great question. I think the most effective conversations come when you almost forget the cameras are there, but let's face it, when you're in this nice studio and there's lights and there's cameras and uh, there's just enough um, distractions that, uh, that, that allow you to really never forget that you're on TV uh, I don't think that that's a bad thing. You kind of keep your guard up. I, I do notice that, like, there's some days where we're where preempted for soccer, UEFA soccer, uh, or maybe an NFL show that CBS Sports Network, like a weekly show, or uh, maybe even March Madness. There's there's some wraparound shows that that will get preempted for. And when you're on the radio, it's it. Listen, no matter what anybody says, it's just a bit more casual. You, what I feel, I don't know that I feel this as much as as, as Tiki does but like, it does affect your posture. Like, you know, if I'm just rapping, I got the headsets on, I might have a backwards cap. I might, it's just, you know, I wouldn't sit there and do a radio show with my feet up, but it's it's a step in front of that where I'm just loose and I'm comfortable. I do think, you know, what you project visually as a reflection of certainly my last name, the name of the show, the company, uh, and all those things that, that that you carry, that we carry with us every day on the air, there's an inherent awareness that uh, people can see what you're doing. So, I mean, you know, you, you, you can't scratch certain spots. You can't do certain things. Uh, I am fidgety though. Like I move. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I just, I, again, you know, the, the uncomfortable- physical, I would
0: say you're a physical presence on air. Is
1: that yeah, fair to not, say? It, yeah, no, I know what you mean. It, and it's, it's, it's not planned. It's not rehearsed. It's not contrived. It's just anything that I do. Uh, I I tend to move around. I'll give you an example. Even, even when I play golf like with my, excuse me, with my buddies, I have, and it's not a nervous energy and it's not like I have one cup of coffee a day. It's, it's not that. And I'm certainly not wired on drugs, but I, I just can't stand on the tee box and not move for that long. Like think even, or on the green, probably a, a better example where you could be there longer because, you know, there's guys lining up putts and, you know, you might still be away blah, blah, blah. I just, you know, I kind of, I like you know, shake my head, get keep the shoulders moving, get the read, look up to the sky, get a sense of the terrain. That's just me. And whether it's on the golf course, uh, in the batter's box back in the day, in school where I was a complete pain in the ass, I'm sure, uh, or on you know, radio and TV, it's just my mannerisms are what they. It's Brooklyn. You you move. You you move.
0: Having visited my sister in Brooklyn many times, I uh, I understand what you mean. So yep. I, have to, I have to ask this because you're a great storyteller. It's one of, my, it's one of the aspects I enjoy about, about having our conversations is you're a fantastic storyteller. and You relate stuff. You've had 20 years, almost 20 years in the business. I don't want to date you. Almost 20 years in the business. Oh, good. Um, did you ever have just a horrible gig as a radio host? And I don't mean like being on the... I don't mean like working for a station. I mean like, did you ever have to do a show? I had to do one from a used car lot. Did you ever have any of those you know, maybe it was a smaller town thing where Mm -hmm. you just had sort of a nightmare situation that you had to do because that's just what happens in these situations. No,
1: it's a great question. And by the way, I appreciate the kind words about the storytelling. I get that from my dad. You know, my dad was always and still is. uh, He's that way. And I don't think that that's something that you just pull out of thin air. It's just, you know, when you see it every day, it becomes ingrained in, certainly in, in your speech delivery and, you know, just how you comport yourself, how you act I think that, first of all, the early the early jobs that I had, I never looked at it as a, a laborious run or, oh, geez, I want to get out of here. First of all, I only had one in a really small town. That was in Allentown. We talked about that. Your first I, one, right? Yep, yeah, my first one. And quite frankly, I was so happy to be in the business. And I just loved having a microphone to go to every day. I didn't think about Oh my God! I'm only making sixteen thousand dollars now. Don't get me wrong. When I when it was time to like pay rent, I I was made very clearly aware that I had nothing. Uh, but I didn't carry that baggage with me every day. I didn't enter the business to become wealthy. Uh, I just I wanted to talk. I felt like I had stories and things to say, and I never looked at it as man. I, I got to get out of here, and I've got to like. Don't get me wrong. I, I was focused, and and I thought that I could do some big things. But I enjoyed each stop, and you know, after Allentown, it was Las Vegas, which is big, and then it was Detroit, which is huge, and then it was New York, which is the biggest, and then it was San Francisco, which is almost the biggest, and then it was back to New York. So, uh, the one thing that, um, if I had to give you, I, I guess a, a rough, I'm trying to think of like a challenging. Let me see, like a, a, a not so much as a town, but a, a situation in my career that was either unpleasant or a real challenge. I would think that there's a few, well, I'll give you one. i give you one. So I'm in Detroit and um, I was, you know, I was still in my twenties and I'm grinding, I'm hustling. And Greg Henson says, Hey, listen, I, th- I told you the story. So I'll all it, but there's one aspect of it. He's like, come out here. I can't promise you, you know, a Monday through Friday job. I'll throw you on the airs. I like your stuff. Cause I was doing national in Vegas. He heard me. I was on in Detroit, blah, blah, blah. He goes, I like your style. Come on out. I'll put you on Saturdays and Sundays, five hours a day. I think it was two hundred and fifty dollars a shift. So at least I was making five hundred bucks over the weekend. And 17 years ago, you know, you could piece you could piece it together. Sure. In a little tiny, modest apartment, which is what I had. And and he said he said, listen, though, he said, if you want to make a few more bucks, what you can do is you can. And man, I look back at this crazy. You can. I don't even know how to describe it. You can, because uh, there was email, obviously, but they had this, like, inter-office mail thing. And I was basically, like, a a part-time postal service. To, like, I would take these big manila folders from the sports station, all clear channel, from the sports station to the r to the country, to the to the news of outlet, all over the, the city of Detroit. And I'm like, I, there were times I'm like, what the hell am I doing, man? Like... <laughs> I, I know I've got my 10 hours on the air Saturday and Sunday, but it's these 30 hours during the week that suck. But I viewed it as, you know, a bridge. I'm not saying I never complained. I can sit here and say, oh, I woke up every day and I swung <laughs> I to my car and I couldn't. No, I, well, I
0: wasn't it. your dream job. Let's
1: no, just do No, it that no, way. no, no. <laughs> I didn't look forward to it. But I'll tell you what, every time, whether it was the R&B, the oldies, the country western politics, everywhere I went, I would, I would have these conversations. Some people were on air, sometimes the girl at the front desk or the guy at the front desk. Like I was almost like, all right, if I'm not talking on the air right now, I'm going to talk to somebody. And, uh, and I made it work. And, and, and I look back and I'm like, boy, you know, one bad break in the room. Maybe I'm not sitting here doing this podcast and it's, it's odd because when I think about that stuff, it, it, it scares me. Like, I don't know if there's enough people in our business that would admit that, like you can, listen, I'm in my forties. I've been doing this for 20 years. You know, I make a decent living. I think there's bigger things to come. That's certainly my aspiration. That's, that's my goal. That's my direction, but let's not lose sight of the fact that there were plenty of times in my twenties when I was either tending bar or working at fidelity uh, down on wall street in the IRA department, when I was trying to break into the business and nobody would pick up the phone. Um, You know, I was an intern at WFAN making nothing so I look back and I'm like it's it, it scared maybe scares the road. well no I think it reinforces not only the work that it took to get here but no matter how much I want more and, I, and I'm hustling appreciate what you got because there's a lot of people number one that would love to be here and a lot of people who started on the same journey that didn't get here And I'm not just going to, whoa, it was so easy. I mean, I had this great voice and I had, I was this great stuff. I I had no contacts. I knew nobody in the business. I didn't go to Syracuse or NYU or BU or any of these, Missouri, any of these other, you know, great broadcast journalism schools with contacts. I'm not saying those people don't earn it. I mean, many of them, you know, have set the standard uh, in our industry for years. Please, that's not shade. But that is just an illumination of, of a rocky journey, but a journey that I think that hardened me and and just gives me a great deep sense of
0: appreciation for what I have. Well, I think everybody in this business, no matter what you do, whether it's radio, writing, TV, you got a break at some point. You yeah. knew the right person, you talked to the right person, the right person saw your stuff and liked you, and maybe didn't see somebody else's stuff. And I think that you know, there is a tremendous amount of luck that that is involved but you also got to work for it. You know I mean? It's not, you know, it's not like you just, you just fall into it backwards. It's, there's a lot of people grinding. Yeah. The people, some people get that break and move up and some people don't. And, and. But I, but
1: you know what the right, here's the thing though, right. You're not wrong. You're fundamentally a thousand percent right. But I do think, and and maybe this is the age gap here, but when, when you're trying to break into the business now. um, Oh, it's different now. I think it's easier. There's a direct outlet to employers. Hey, at least I have an Instagram account. I do a podcast. I've got Twitter. I've got a means for you to at least hear me. Back in the day, not this is the two thousands early. You have to mail things out. Hope somebody opens it. Hopefully, they'll stick it in their CD. uh, You know, on the way home from their job, it was just. It was. I think it was a lot more arduous. Now, I think that. I think that there's, there's just, there's more options now, which is
0: kind of. Everybody has a podcast. You're on one right now. You I know. know I
1: mean, you know, yeah. it's yeah, but no, but yours, you know, I mean, I, you can, you can yeah. have a podcast and live in your parents' basement and be 28 years old and and somehow have 2000 followers. And you didn't even study journalism. You didn't do an internship. And, and I'm not, trust me, I'm not begrudging that every generation you know, accepts and deals and adjusts with with the twists and the turns and how things develop. Uh, it's not re- it's not resentment or regret. I'm in a pretty good spot, but it's a different it's a different entrance into the into the pool, if you will. I think it's tougher. I think it's tougher when I was younger. I, that that Eddie you have a tough time convincing me that my generation had it easier. I just don't see it that way.
0: Yeah, I I, I think it's tough to to make that argument as well. I, I agree with you. I think that it, the difference is it's easier to send out clips. Now it's easier to show your social following, show how people react to you. You know, all you guys had was the ratings numbers and there's, you know, there's a, a, in a lot of ways that system is a little flawed and you don't know, you know, know, and, and so it's just harder to sort of show the, um, you know, show the productivity of your work and things like that. And, And I think also people get, can get on air training on their own by just running a show and getting used to doing it as opposed to back then you used to have to get on a radio show to oh, get in the game a game radio game. station. Yeah. And here's the other thing too. And not, not
1: to belabor it, but like you could put out a tweet, if it gets picked up by the right person, you could gain 10,000 followers like that. Mm-hmm. Like if Kevin Durant engages in a, in a Twitter spat, I'm just throwing names out or, you know, I mean, um, Fernando Tatis, there you go. I'll throw you a <laughs> tweet, something and it gains traction It's again. It's just. uh, It's a different way to get into the pool, but it's all good. At the end of the day, you still have to be talented when you get there. No matter how you get there, you still have to be talented to get there. And maybe more importantly, you've got to be very talented to keep it.
0: Yeah, and you can't fake it once you're there. I mean, that's you know. Uh, So uh, another question I wanted to ask about the radio and 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 your career is: Do you is there a favorite go to guest you've had over there? I know I'm not trying to. to pick, give me your favorite guest. I'm saying if you mm-hmm. think of like a good guest you guys have on regularly or you've had on regularly during your career that always just brings it, who, mm-hmm. who's somebody you think of? It doesn't have to be the, the one best, but just somebody.
1: Yeah, yep. I'm thinking, I guess I'll go from now a little backwards here, uh, kind of descending order. I'll give you a couple of favorites that jump out. Sean Payton's been very good to us. You know, we've had Sean on. I remember one time we had Sean on. He actually called us. This was, I guess, four years ago and he called us from the tunnel uh, when the saints were getting ready to play a preseason game. So, I mean, that's just, he, he coached Tiki. That's where the relate, yep. he was, he was in the offensive room with Tiki and he's really the one that Tiki credits with, you know, having this innovation to open things up. I mean, first couple of years, Tiki was, he was, it was good, but he was, it was, that's where it ended. He was, he was good. And then he became an absolute superstar and he really credits Sean. Sean's a great chap. Uh, Bruce Arians has been terrific, too. Bruce was our first guest ever on TGNT wow. T- 2013, January 2nd, 2013. Bruce Arians and Rondé, but, I mean, if you can't book Rondé, <laughs> <so you laughs> yeah. can't un- I mean, unplug the show, right? Back yeah, it up. <laughs> so so Bruce, Bruce came on our first show. Bruce came on our first TV simulcast after we took over for Gottlieb. He came on the day after they won the Super Bowl. He's been very good to us. I think somebody that I really used to enjoy speaking with back in the day, I think this gave me a real following locally, was Donnie Walsh. Hmm. When Donnie Walsh was running the Knicks, so you got to remember, especially, so I guess I'll take it back to, uh, you know, I'm not quite to a little bit before. I Well, when did it really start with Donnie? Well, I, I would say the Knicks stuff started as soon as I came back to New York in 03, because I'm just a Knicks guy. The Knicks were horrendous. And, and I think, you know, I was, I was younger. I was, I was loud. I was raw. <laughs> uh, I certainly wasn't afraid to bury people and and get after it probably too aggressively in hindsight, maybe sometimes too personal. As I look back it's something I try to avoid now, I try not to keep it personal, but back then it was just, I mean, all systems ablaze. I mean, I'd come and I'd be on at night. So I'd come out firing. I'd have like three hours and I would just say whatever I wanted and Knicks fans, you know, I, I can't speak for them, but based on what they told me and they just they're like, man, this isn't this is an energy that we like. And, and at that point, the Knicks sucked. So nobody was talking about the Knicks. It's all Yankees who are ripping off all these ch- And I'm a Yankee guy. Yeah. But I just have always enjoyed talking hoops, too. And I was doing an event with Donnie Walsh uh, in Manhattan. It was uh, a documentary about Earl of Pearl Monroe and a black magic. Dan Clores, K L O R E S, I believe is the producer. Really great documentary. And uh I had a chance to do a couple of of Nick games with Earl when I when I filled in for play by play, he was my color guy. What a gentleman. Salt of the earth, salt of the earth guy. And Donnie Walsh was there. Long story short. And we were up on at the Paley Center, up on this uh this podium and just really he he too was salt of the earth guy and, and I was doing my midday show at this point. I said, you know, Donnie, I'd love to have you on the show. Gave me his number and he came on the next day. And I mean, this guy, I mean, I was asking about Isaiah Thomas. I mean, Stefan Mike. I'm asking him real. Th- and he was so honest and people ate it up. And then I think he respected my knowledge. And then we continued this rapport. So then they, you know, Carmelo Anthony comes here. Donnie, I'm not going to say Donnie Walsh was in my pocket. That's ridiculous. But Donnie was an ally that really made my show better. And I really think enhanced my credibility. So Donnie Walsh is one that definitely sticks out. And another guy, I'll tell you this, another one, and we've kind of lost touch, which stinks, uh, but Rick Carlisle. So when I'm in, I'm in Detroit, is a true story. I'm in Detroit and I'm doing middays, nine to noon. And it's his first year with the Pistons and they weren't, they were coming off a bad year the previous year. And they're like 14 and nine to start the year. And they're like, It's a 14 and nine where it's kind of like little tape, a little glue, a little spit, you know, they're not really going anywhere yet, but they're playing their asses off. They're playing defense. They're sharing the rock. The palace is sold out. Rick's a good coach. So they practiced and the the old facility right by the old palace uh, off 75, they practiced, I think at 10. So Rick would, I, I never met him and he would, he would, yeah, I hadn't met him yet. He would listen to my show. On the way to practice, and he calls up my produ- he calls up the show my producer Marty still friendly Marty Martin great 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 girl great woman great producer she says in my talk back button she says Rick Carlisle's on the on the on the air <laughs> or on the phone but I don't really know if it's Rick yeah, put him on it's, if it's Rick I have a great chat if, if it's, it's not, not Rick, it'll be really entertaining <laughs> yeah I'll make fun of the guy I'm not whatever just put him on it doesn't matter right away I know it's Rick and he's very dry. Very cerebral, but very dry. Not a ton of energy. Thinks very much before he speaks. And he says, uh, yeah, you know, everybody, even that everybody called me BT. That's where it started. He goes, uh, BT, I don't don't really know who you are yet, but uh, I got to tell you, if you're going to talk about my team as much as you are, you may as well be right it's what he says, wow. But no, 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 Now, again, I'm like, now, yeah, I kind of sit up in my seat. I'm like, <laughs> we're going to battle here. What's going on with this guy? And it, it, he was actually kidding, which yeah. he would admit about 20 30 seconds later. He goes, nah, he goes, I just want to tell you. He goes, I, I love the Pistons talk. He goes, You know, basketball. He goes, It's obvious. You know, basketball. He goes, I'm looking forward to meeting you. And from that point forward, Uh, And I was only there two years, but they became a very good playoff team. then the next year they won the championship. And after he left and after I left with with Larry Brown, they really should have won two with Larry. He would call my show all the time. And those, listen, there's a lot more, but those are ones. Certainly Rick early showed me respect. And I think in my mind validated where I was at that point in the business, Donnie Walsh did that for me in New York city, which was so important to me as a New York guy. And, you know, I mentioned three or four, and there's more for Tiki and Tierney. But another one is Brandel Chamblee. I would be remiss if I didn't throw you a little Brandel Chamblee. In my opinion, the most intelligent, analytical golf analyst in the world. I I love Brandel to the point where he and it started pretty innocently, like he was in New York for a book. So and it was right around the Open Championship and he had the he had the Open Championship trophy. And he comes in studios, obviously, way pre-pandemic, about four years ago. And I forget what it was, but I mean, the guy's brilliant. And, you know, t- you know, Tiki calls me sharp tyranny. I like to talk about bets. And, you know, I usually, you know, I usually hammer a bunch correctly. And whatever I said, I won. And Brandall and I made a bet. I made a bet against Brandall on the air for a buck, right? And I won. And I guess he just kind of remembered that. And anytime time my producer would reach out, hey, Brando, can you, yeah, oh, I remember you. Go, Yeah, that's the guy that I, I lost a dollar to. Sure, I'll come out and talk, Masters. And it grew Oh Yeah, sure, I'll come out and talk about the, uh, the PGA Championship. And it grew to the point, or the Ryder Cup, where now, every time I'm, my producer doesn't even call, I just text him, hey, B, I need you tomorrow. B, you know, yeah. first day to Masters, he's like, absolutely, I got you. That's he's, awesome. treated me, he's treated me and us very well.
0: Yeah, that's great when you can develop those relationships, especially on air that spill off air too and and become that mutual respect. Um, I Well, and I think that when you're a guest on a show and the the hosts clearly like you, that makes that on-air chemistry so much better and you really develop that a little bit. Like you can tell when people on air are enjoying talking to each other and aren't. And I think that's a huge aspect for the audience as well makes it more fun to listen to when these people are clearly respecting and liking each other. I'll
1: tell you this much. There are, you know, you talked about this to start the the, the chat here about the wheelhouse, how when things get a little frenetic that I could be at my best. And I, I relish that I, I, I really, I pursue those moments, but those moments don't happen every show, by the way, because there's not always something pressing. I would say interviews are, are right, are right there. Uh, probably a tick behind those explosions and those, those poignant moments, but I love interviewing people. And to your point about, you know, you can listen to somebody two minutes and you're like, "Uh, this guy doesn't even know who he's talking to, or, or, or he doesn't even want to be on the show. And to me, the way you have an effective interview, number one, you've got to humanize the subject. And to do that, you've got to humanize yourself. You've got to humanize yourself. There are, I'll tell you one thing that drives me nuts. So broadcaster X, Oh, you know, this coach, he should have been playing that guy. Oh, his his rotations are so out of whack. This guy should be fired. Then broadcaster X gets the coach that he just braided on the show. And he says, you know, coach, I got to tell you, there's a lot of people out there who have questioned your, Ah, come on, dude. I mean, let's, let's throw some stones here, man. If you're going to present it that way, when they're not there, you better present it in a similar manner when they are there. So those are like, I don't want to say those are tricks of the trade because it's, I think it's a, it's kind of a a natural instinct. I mean, you've got to be willing to put yourself out there. Hey coach got respect for you, but you know what I had, you I was talking about this the other day and I fundamentally disagree. I don't understand why you're not playing so-and-so and And when it, it rather than the other way, which is not even a human way of conversing because it's, it's like a made up reach, whatever. It's the easy way out. The subject if they're a stand-up person, and most people in this in this world are, forget about, in the world are, most people are stand-up people, they will receive that, and they'll say to themselves very quickly, all right, you know what, this guy might be a knucklehead radio host who never played a second in the NBA or whatever sport we're talking about, but you know what, he seems pretty genuine, he's coming across and authentic, he's not hiding, I'm going to give this guy a real answer. And when you do that, when you're able to do that, and it sounds real, it's, it's part of your natural delivery then you have great interviews
0: yeah i think that's fair and and i think that honesty is so important in the medium and and presenting yourself as genuine is so important in the medium because there's so much bs out there there's just so and it's it's if you're just going to be another guy who's full of crap you know it's easy to turn that dial well and by the way there's there's
1: there's two two voices that the homogenized boring voice that blends in nobody wants that then there's the so obviously fake voice that you can't possibly believe what you are espousing that I can no longer take you serious voice. And, you know, somewhere in between lies the, uh, you know,
0: the magic elixir, I guess. Yeah. The authenticity is, is yep. that's the key. We've talked about that many times. Uh, let's get to some stuff you're passionate about. Yeah, and, man. and the first one I want to talk about is the jets. And I got to know, what do you think of Robert Sala so far? And then I'll Mm -hmm. follow up after you talk about that.
1: I love it. That's the guy that I wanted the Jets to hire. That is, you know, you go back, you scan the timeline, you go into the YouTube hits from Tiki. That is the person that I wanted. And not just because of the demonstrative actions of like the San Francisco sideline energy, which by the way, there's no way he will or could comport himself like that on a regular basis as a head coach. Different different animal. Yeah. And you've already seen that he's already changed. The people that I've I've spoken to about Robert during the process, people that know him, they they rave about, see what the general public saw was this, almost this like unleashed animal, which resonates with everybody, especially in football. What people who really know him and have been around him say that he's a genius. He's a genius in terms of interpersonal relationships, which if you're trying to coach players and get them to do something that they're not sure that they can get, They better believe in you. And that is, that comes very naturally for him, but also analytically from a numbers point of view, he's brilliant. And I I just, I watch him. I went to the green white practice. I watch him. I want to see, well, does he even walk over to the offense? Where's the interaction? Does he let his coaches do their job? And it's check, 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 check. It's a very small sample, obviously. And I'm realistic. I don't, I don't think the jets, although I don't think they will be terrible, because they'll run the ball, I think, somewhat effectively. I think they'll put Zach in decent spots. I know we'll get to him as well. But I think that, you know, for the first time in – Jesus, I mean, early Rex, and even Rex had his offensive deficiencies. Like, I feel like the Jets are set up from a leadership point of view where they have great synergy, general manager, head coach – and philosophically, let's build the offensive line. Let's run the ball to make the plays easier for the young quarterback. In essence, everything they didn't do for Sam Darnold. I think Salah is going to be terrific. I, I am a plus.
0: I mean, look at him. He looks like me. I mean, <laughs> I mean, plus. I wasn't going to mention it, but you guys, you guys do have some. Uh we got to get you standing next to each other just to <laughs> um what do you what do you think of early impressions of Zach Wilson so far as well as a big jets? I know you were a big you were a defender of Sam Darnold because they didn't surround him with yeah. what they needed to surround him to and they didn't put him in a position to succeed. And I, I fully agree with you on that and think that he probably could have been better. And I think people underestimate situation and fit for quarterbacks yep. as much as anything. Uh, I think you can have all these guys have all the talent in the world. It's about getting them in the right situation. I mean, look at Josh Allen with Brian Dayball. You get those guys together, all of a sudden, Josh Allen becomes a much better quarterback. Yeah. So what do you think about Zach Wilson so far that you've seen and and just how you sort of project him? Is he going to fit with the Jets?
1: Yeah, he's going to fit. I'm seeing a lot of poise. I'm seeing a lot of natural, uh, effortless energy and poise and awareness and intelligence, and it's just – Hey, you know what, Zach, you threw two picks. This is a great example. He said this, you know, hey, Zach, you threw a couple of picks in practice today. Um, you know, what, what What do you think about, uh, I, I don't know, what do you think about your progress? However it was framed, but they illuminated the mistakes, right? He said, listen, guys, he said, you know, my job is to protect the football, so I didn't do my job today. But I also look at these practices as a laboratory to see what I could get away with. If 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 we just dink and dunk and I don't take any chances, I won't know in terms of my arm talent, my ability to anticipate all those things that I could do relatively easy. I'm putting words in his mouth somewhat, but that's the general premise that I could do easily uh, in, in college. I need to know what my limitations are on Sundays here. When a guy's closing, when a safety's closing, when a when a cornerback's converging, I need to know, all right, this this linebacker runs a you know, a, a four-four-nine rather than a four-seven or four-six. When, what's the anticipatory route? When can I release the ball? What can I get away with? I thought it was such a smart way of looking, not only uh, and compartmentalizing, not even compartmentalizing a mistake, but also incorporating the the real potential for growth. I thought that was a great answer. The easy answer would be, I got to do a better job. I got to play better. You know and, and he said that I've got to protect the ball, but it was the second part that showed me this aptitude, this depth. Met listen, his arm is sick. I mean, you yeah. see him as soon as his right foot on his third step hits the turf, that thing, I mean, it just it's it cuts, it's an effortless spiral.
0: There's he's gonna got, be, he's got, an, he's got an Aaron Rodgers kind of arm. I, you know, whether he becomes Aaron Rodgers or not, that's that's up to him. But I, you know, we I do our mock drafts on the site and I I broke him down and that guy's got a laser of an arm. Uh, he really does. And he gets a lot of zip on the ball. He's a good athlete, too. You know, now what he needs to
1: work on, you know, obviously just you know, seeing things in front of him. And that's going to I think I don't think that that will be as hard for him as it is for, like say, Dwayne Haskins early on. Like, I think that will be. Somewhat of a natural progression. I'm not saying Herbert or even Burrow like. Short of that, I would think. But I think it's going to be pretty evident, pretty early on. Like, well, the, yo, the Jets picked the right guy. Um, and I, I, the only thing I worry about, <clears throat> although it's different in 2021 where you can't really hit quarterbacks, I'm not worried about his height. He's almost six three, but he's finished. He's got it from the you know from the waist down lower extremity. He doesn't really have those those thick thighs. Then again, Rogers didn't when he was young. Tom Brady was taller, but he was thin. Um, you know, Mahomes has put on, well, Mahomes is a little thicker in the trunk even out of even out of Texas Tech. But you don't need Stafford was relatively thin. And I think if he was surrounded with more in Detroit, you'd have more success. We'll see what happens with the Rams. I just think that there's such a palpable energy around the jet fan base, at least for the informed ones now, the informed ones, because you, you, you know, for the first time again in in, in a decade plus, you've got a coach that you're like, all right, there's a bar fight. I know he has my back, so I better have his back. So there's like that, you know, non-tangible emotion, but it matters in football. Number one, number two, you know, the quarterback's got easy, effortless skill. Number three, you trust the general manager just by the way they built the old line and doing things that they used to neglect and listen, but you've got to be realistic bills are loaded. Pats will be better. Dolphins are pretty good. If Tua plays well, Dolphins could be really good. So I'm under no illusion that the Jets win anything of, of, of significance this year. But do I think the Jets are picking top five, top seven next year? I don't. I think that the Jets will be, you know, with the 17th game end added, can they be seven and ten? I think that that's fairly realistic. I think there's a lot of winnable games on the back end of the schedule. They're front seven. You know, Quentin Williams, Carl Lawson, Sheldon Rankins, J- Jets. Jets have now quarterbacks an issue, but the Jets have some ish, some, some weapons. I'm excited. Like I always try to ratchet up excitement. And then once I know that it's not there, I'm going to, then I'm going to hit you hard. <laughs> but th- this, this is actually authentic. Like I feel yeah. like they're actually moving in the right direction.
0: They're on the right path. And, and, and that tingle you feel is hope, Brandon. It's yes, hope. it is. It's long-term hope.
1: Great word, man. Hope. Rather and lot- than despair and <laughs> yeah. apathy. And it's apathy.
0: been a while. It's been a while for Jets fans. Oh, dude. Are your Yankees going to make the playoffs?
1: Boy, I'll tell you what, man. First of all, the answer is yes. I am locked in to every Yankee pitch. Listen, I'm a baseball guy. You know yeah. I'm watching baseball every night. But I'll admit, especially with two little kids, you know, Yankees up 7-2. Yankees down 6-4. And in some years past you know what, i record the game, I'll catch the last inning in the morning, you know. I'm up every, I'm falling asleep to these games. Like, I'm not going to bed until I get that 27th out or extra innings more. Uh, I, the Field of Dreams game was, even the way it ended, I mean, just from an yeah. objective, you know, big picture macro view was, I think, the best night outside of the All-Century team back in 99, at f- the the the, the uh, that or the All-Star game when Tony Gwynn held up Ted Williams to throw out the pitch in 99, to me, it was baseball's finest moment this century. But even with the loss, like it, every night, man, they're, they're starting to do things <clears throat> that I have not seen the Yankee team do in a long time, manufacture some runs, and quite frankly, have a little fun and show some energy and, and resilience and gumption. Like I, I don't want to minimize beating somebody nine to two when you hit three home runs, because it's hard to hit home runs, but it's more gratifying to see, The two-out base, and I know you're a big baseball guy. A two-out base hit the other way. Five guys out of the bullpen string something together to get a bunch of outs. Garrett Cole just came back. He was on COVID. Montgomery had COVID. Sanchez COVID. Urshela COVID. Now the hamstring. Sanchez is hurt. Uh, DJ had COVID to start the season. Boyd missed the entire season. Basically, Aaron Hicks, excuse me, is gone. Brett Gardner's ancient Aaron judge had COVID. I mean, you look at what the Yankees have had to go through. uh, Chapman is out. It is a minor miracle that they're still breathing and the moves that they made. Now I will say this when you have that payroll, all right, even with the move, even with the injuries and the illnesses, the Yankees were not properly constructed this season. Too many going into the season, too many slow footed guys, um and not enough lefty bats when Brett Gardner is your I mean I've got a lot of respect for Brett but I mean come on when Brett's your lefty threat with a 314 fence in in in, in, in Yankee Stadium Brian Cashman didn't do his job at least to start now what he did do correcting midstream with Rizzo who also has COVID who's coming back now Gallo who hit a bomb last night I mean he's been on a tear he's entering I believe the hot phase now um, you got two lefty sticks that makes life easier for Judge, Lemayhew, et cetera. And they keep pulling these scrappy guys like fourth outfielders and middle relievers. I don't know where the hell they're getting them from. And I don't even pretend to know every name until they actually come up. But it has been an exhilarating Yankee season, taking the family to the, uh, to the game this weekend. Yeah, I think they, I don't, listen, they're not going to win the, the East. I think the Rays have a little bit too much separation and they're good. The Yankees will surpass Boston. They will surpass the A's. Yankees will be a playoff team. And if Cole is back to being Cole, Yanks have a
0: chance. Yanks yeah, have a once, chance. once you get into the wild card, or you know, if you win that wild card game, you have as good a chance as anybody to win. Sure you do. I, I, we've seen it plenty of times, wild card teams make a run. Yeah, I think the Yankees are really interesting because this is the year they're kind of the scrappy team, which isn't what we typically think of as the Yankees. They're usually that polished you know, team that just has a really defined way of playing. And this year they're the, they're sort of the underdog story. I relished
1: it though. I, it's a nice, yeah. it's a nice, it's a, it's, it's nice putting on a different sports coat. It's nice, you know, just some different attire. Don't get me wrong. There's an element that, that I relish as well being the, uh, the hated Yankees because I extract no real enjoyment from my football or my basketball team. Although the Knicks are coming up, which is great. Uh, but you know, 20 years, it's been it's been a rough sled with those guys too. So the Jets and the Knicks always humble me. It's nice to be able to strut and to walk around. Whether it's payroll, whether it's 300 home runs, whether it's this, you know, all the championships, obviously. But it, in a lot of ways, this this version of the Yankees is more consistent with who I am as a person. Like I, I'm not a natural superstar. I wasn't born affluent. My dad's not a a retired sportscaster like I just I respect the grind I respect the grit I respect the chase I respect the hustle it, it's it's
0: emblematic of the Bronx it's it's a New York team sweet Fits very well uh we're gonna stay with baseball for sort of my last question is you've been pretty hard on Rob Manfred over the yeah. last two years really well I guess a year and a half <laughs> uh, do you still like, here's the other thing is that there is a major labor disagreement coming up in baseball in December. The The CBA is going to oh, yeah. expire and it's looks like they're setting up with a knockdown drag out. Do you have any confidence that Rob Manfred can get a deal done? Or are we looking at a lockout next year?
1: I, the confidence is not derived from my belief in Manfred doing a great job at the negotiating table. And having this incredible show of leadership. No, it doesn't come from that. It comes from my belief in firmly believing that nobody could be so dumb to interrupt the momentum that baseball has so clearly generated. If baseball, and I I don't like, you know, dumb, stupid, I'd like to think my vocabulary is a little bit better now, but certain times it fits. If baseball is stupid enough and, and selfish enough and egotistical enough to think that they could push fans off to the side again after this it's not even a renaissance because it's different than anything it's ever been it's more mainstream it's more accepted it's cooler like that's why i love the feel the dreams game the other night even though you know loss aside whatever the I, i'm i'm not i'm not one of these guys who's on my phone that often during the evening you know i like to be present with my family I think I'm pretty good. Pretty good at that. Now, certain games, yeah, I'll keep it near me. I might. I'll drop the occasional tweet, but very rarely. Like if you check my timeline, I don't tweet very much at night. And I was just perusing social media during the field of dream games, and I thought it was so amazing. There were football games going on, if you recall. There were and a couple of quarterbacks, Mac Jones. Like there were some things that are are of interest for the upcoming season. I'm seeing tweets from people that we get out the most respected football pundits in America. And they're commenting on the field of dreams game. I'm like, this,
0: this is cool. This now. So you have that you have, I mean the 60 game sprint last year was awesome. Everybody loved, you know, I mean, I know that it was a short season, but baseball gained a lot of momentum from that short season with all the offense and the universal DH and the playoffs were fantastic. Even with no fans, Yep. That 60-game sprint was awesome and really had a lot of momentum coming into this year, I feel like, too. I, I, I don't
1: disagree. And then you just look at this, this you know, this the presence of these young stars, I mean, everywhere. And it's crazy because some of them have gotten hurt. Cooney's out for the season. We know about Tatis' shoulder. There's been some young guys who, who can't stay on the field. Even Trout has missed basically the entire – not a young guy, but one of the all-time greats, in my opinion. It's been – Seamless, how I mean, what Otani's delivered. I mean, you look at West Coast baseball right now. I made the statement the other day on the show that you know, this and I know that there's been situations where you know, West Coast teams played for the World Series. Obviously, the A's and the Giants, the earthquake. I don't mean that, but from top to bottom, you know, Giants' best record in baseball, Dodgers killing people, Padres are loaded. Um, the A's are a playoff team right now. Otani's delivered the best baseball, see- Babe Ruth. I mean, it's, it's been the most amazing season individually that I've ever seen in my life. I mean, all these stories, even the Seattle Mariners are hanging around. I think they're four games out with a five, out, uh, nine, maybe five, whatever it is. They're fading as expected, but all six West coast teams have been very, very good. So in totality, baseball has been awesome. But to get back to your question about, or your point about Manfred, They, they cannot, they cannot deprive the game of the momentum that it's generated. I mean, it would be, it would be, it would be catastrophic because not only all the stories I just illuminated, but think about this. When was the last time you heard, oh, that bat flip, that's not the way the game's supposed to be played. You don't even hear that anymore. Like even the bat flips are generally accepted, right? Like have fun, let them be youthful. Let them have energy. Let them project what they project. The Padres have the home run clock, like Flavor Flav. The Blue Jays have the home run jacket. Like all these teams coming up with these cool things that just resonate, not just when you're watching the game, but on social media, which is so important. If they mess this up, then shame on them and he should be ousted immediately.
0: Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I I think that it's... You're right. I think for the first time ever, baseball is starting to try and embrace what the NBA does with its stars and promote the star over the front of the jersey. Yeah. And, you know, the front of the jersey is important. You know, the Yankees, for example, iconic Red Sox, iconic Cubs, mm-hmm. iconic. But there are a lot of teams in cities that aren't iconic. And the back of the jersey matters. And you're seeing that yes. again, San Diego, uh, with Anaheim, you know, with Otani, I mean, you've got to feature those guys. You've got to leverage social media to your advantage, yep. because I mean, I can see every one of Otani's highlights without watching his game. Yes, but when he's on national TV, I'm going to tune in as a result. And I Me think too. that, and I think that's that's something that baseball finally has gotten right. And you're correct. If they cannot hammer out a new CBA, and by the way, the owners and players hate each other right now. I know, if they, I know. If they can't hammer out a CBA. And they can't start next season on time. It is going to be a crushing blow. You're absolutely right. Everybody should be fired if that can't happen.
1: It's contentious, but I mean, there's times to you know to chase every penny, and then there's times for the greater good to you know begrudgingly shake hands and look somebody in the eye and say, "Hey, for the good of the sport, uh, all right." We we, we all to-
0: lose if this doesn't get done, basically.
1: Yeah, and then I don't know how you you come back from that because they've reinstilled faith in the sport for those who lost it number one, uh, not that you and I, we never lost it, but for those who lost faith in the sport, they, they've kind of you know, inserted that energy back there where they've galvanized that person, which is good, but more directly, they're now bringing in the fringe fan who was never intimately connected to the sport. And to your point, that's what the NBA has. That's what the NFL has. You know, that's what you need to, instead of being an incredibly distant third in the four majors, close the gap a little bit. And I'll tell you this, I notice. Now I'm I'm a big quick pitch MLB Network guy. I'm sure you are as well. Sure, but I've noticed SportsCenter doing
0: a lot more baseball. Have you noticed that the last yes, couple of weeks? Absolutely, right? It that's, uh, yeah, it's breaking you know? through. It is, and this used to be this used to be a dead period of the sports calendar, and now baseball is stepping into that void. As it probably did, you know, I mean, obviously not during my career, but before that, that's what would be at this point of the year instead of no focusing question. on training camps.
1: Oh, God, I remember, you know, a younger Stuart Scott, you know, and, and obviously Dan Patrick and all those guys, all those ESPN legends, they were, you know, they were just blistering us with baseball highlights. Yeah, I, highlights at this point. I get it. There's a lot of quarterback battles and young quarterbacks to keep it. It's August. Uh, we, we get that. There's a, And we know what the engine is for not just ESPN, but for CBS, it's, it's football. Uh, for Fox, it's football. And that's not going to change. But that doesn't mean, put it this way, there's an old adage in radio, play the hits. And for those who, I mean, it's pretty easy to identify what that means. But for those who don't know, if you do a show every day and your your content seems repetitive, <clears throat> I'll give you an example. You do Aaron Rodgers five or six straight days. There were even days where Teak and I would look at each other we're like, We're going to leave with Rodgers. And there were times we're like, man, I'm kind of sick of this, man. It's like, it's, there's nothing new, but play the hits means, Hey, listen, number one, you don't assume that everybody listens to every second of the show and what they are most interested in at that point, what the hell is going on with Aaron Rodgers? I mean, not just Packer fans, Bronco fans, Dolphin fans, um, you know, what's going on with the Sean Watson. I mean, there, there's, there's, so those are, those are stories that you beat to a bloody pulp because that's what the audience craves and you've seen baseball not that they crave it to that level and probably never will but boy it's gone further up on the menu hasn't it it's more visible
0: yeah i know everybody wants to hear what Otani's doing tatis is doing what you know are the guerrero yeah all those guys and and it's it's really driving it hey brandon it is always a blast having you on. Uh, I think you know that around here, we love your style. We love your energy. We love your work. Really appreciate you coming on, coming back with us. We'll, we'll definitely do it again because I, I could do this all day. I love it, man. No,
1: listen, Ryan, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Funny you always thank me, but you know I, I, I thank you too because you guys pick up a lot of my content. You guys are a great, great content site that that I was, um, I was checking out, you know, even before, way before you guys started, uh, you know, lifting up a lot of my stuff and, and putting it out there. So it's helped me. Hopefully it's given you guys a little pop on the side, a little jolt of, of energy. But, you know, if you think that I treat you well by coming on, you guys actually do more for me. So anytime you need me, buddy, and I mean that, Brian, I love the work you guys do. I'm always happy to join you. Thanks for having
0: me, man. Anytime. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Keep it tuned to the Press Pass Podcast. Keep it tuned to thebiglead.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with the next one soon.